Episode 4, One Baptism for the Remission of Sins. So I mean, I've been decide. I've uh, I've tried doing this episode for a long time, and I wanted to release this with the recordings I've had. I've I've already done um, with mystical theology, but because I think this can end up going a lot going on for a longer time than what I had initially thought, I decided to actually. Uh, go through each individual passage because I've I've been getting a lot of uh, I, I think uh, objections some people who've, who've argued with me on social media about about this now I, I didn't initially intend to uh, to do uh, uh, like a like a separate episode about like on this this soon um, I, the only reason I'm doing this is because I think I need, I need to explain myself and sometimes it's very frustrating using my cell phone to uh, to to argue using your fingers in that way and not a keyboard tends to get frustrating and I think there's a lot of to and fro's and because sometimes on uh, with with typing there's only so much which you can say and do and you I'm not able to put footnotes and all of that kind of stuff as in a, a theological journal so to people who are not familiar with who I am, I am an ex-charismatic, um, um, ex-baptist, uh, credo-baptist, so I do believe in infant baptism. I do believe that baptism is actually something which saves. Now, when we get into the nuances of what that means, I'm not going to say I hold to a Roman Catholic view. Um, I, I'm not speaking for the Roman Catholic view. I'm an Anglican, a high church Anglican. Some would call that an Anglo-Catholic. I do belong to the Anglican Catholic Church, which is a, a church of the Anglican continuum, along with other um, conservative branches of Anglicanism. So, um, j just to give you a definition of what I think a sacrament is, um, this, this actually is uh, taken from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, uh, and I agree with this uh, statement. So, this is a definition of a sacrament. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace given unto us, ordained by Christ himself, as a means whereby we receive the same, and a pledge to assure us thereof. So, um, a sacrament is quite clearly that. It is a physical thing, a thing that we can see or touch or smell, physical thing, uh, that the Holy Spirit uses to effect our salvation, or at least to effect something of our salvation, a grace. Grace. So, uh, it is where the Holy Spirit acts through um, and acts with to give us something, to give us a spiritual grace. And it's ordained by Christ. At least there are two main sacraments, uh, the Holy Eucharist and the Holy Baptism. The Holy Eucharist is something we continue continually go to, um, and baptism is something not to be repeated. This is why we don't believe in baptizing infants again. That's an Anabaptist heresy. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I was not baptized in this, as an infant. I was baptized in a Pentecostal church, and um, according to my church, that baptism was still valid because it was done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so, when we speak of baptism in the Anglican tradition, that is the application of water, whether it's sprinkling, immersion, um, or, you know, submersion in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
I want to give you, uh, I want to go through the Nicene Creed because, uh, you know, I've actually had people tell me that, um, and this isn't one person in particular, this is a, a large amount of people who actually think that when I say baptism saves, they would laugh at that. And I find this interesting because this is, this is a teaching which the church has always believed. St. Thomas Aquinas believed that baptism saves. St. Augustine believes baptism saves, and so on and so forth. I can go through all of those church fathers, and you'd be delighted to know they believe baptism saved. So I'm going to be looking at some of those um, quotes, you know, where they do say that it is, in fact, uh, baptism which saves. Now, uh, you know, how did I come to this conclusion? Because I did hold to a very... Baptist view of the sacraments. It, it came by actually studying what Reformed people said. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, actually does seem to imply some form of efficacy attached to the sacrament of baptism. Now, I wouldn't say that they hold to baptismal regeneration per se, but they do hold to baptismal efficacy, as did Calvin. Now, the way in which they believe it is probably the thing where we get into, but I hold to a much higher view of baptism. So I'm going to read the Nicene Creed because I just want to show you that this isn't something that I believe or, you know, some cult believed, um, but this is something that the church has historically held to. Um, and the, the Nicene Creed dates quite early in church history. Uh, so let me, let me, let me read it. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate and he suffered and was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeded from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now, some people might have, you know, if you're Catholic or Anglican, you might have noticed I didn't say and the son, but the son, which is the, the filioque clause, uh, was only added later on into the creed to clarify something about Catholic doctrine. I'm not going to say where I stand on that, but this is what the Nicene Creed says. It says that we believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. Now, I don't know how much more clear that means. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is something that has always been part of the doctrine of one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church which traces its lineage and bishops back to the apostles believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. And this is just point blank a quote from Acts 2 verse 38. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you know, there are many ways that people get around this. One way people get around this passage, Acts 2.38, is they say, Well, the verse doesn't say, it says, you must repent, and that is the thing that saves you. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Fact of the matter is, the early church thought that it was one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And the church has historically not separated repentance from baptism. So I'm going to read what Thomas Aquinas in 1274 um, AD said. He says, do penance about this verse. He says, do penance 
He had, as, he had admonished men to do penance before admonishing them to be baptized. This would be because also before baptism, some kind of penance is required. Confession is a part of sacramental penance, which is not required before baptism, but the inward virtue of penance is required. Moreover, the penance which precedes baptism is not the sacrament of penance. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the sacrament of confirmation unto renovation, by the labor of regeneration and renovation of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 For the confirmation of the Holy Spirit is given for strength to enable a man to boldly confess Christ's name before men. For just as in the natural order a man is first born and then grows and becomes strong, so too in the order of grace. Hence Pope... Um, I don't know how you actually pronounce that. Melchides, um, you know, I'm just going to continue reading, says, The Holy Spirit who comes down on the waters of baptism, bearing salvation in his flight, bestows at the font the fullness of innocence, but confirmation he confers, confers an increase of grace. In baptism, we are born again unto life. After baptism, we are strengthened. Christ, by the power which he exercises in the sacraments, bestowed on the apostles the reality of the sacraments, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, without the sacrament itself, because they had received the first fruits of the Spirit. In like manner, too, when the apostles imposed their hands, and when they preached the fullness of the Spirit come down under visible signs on the faithful, however, the apostles commonly made use of chrism in bestowing the sacraments, when he, like visible signs, were lacking. Now the grace of the Holy Spirit is signified by all, hence Christ is said to be anointed with oil of the oil of gladness in Psalm 44, 8, by reason of his being gifted with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But basically it's a very lengthy explanation as to the fact that baptism and confirmation um, is actually that thing, the thing that saves us. Now, um, what this basically means and what Thomas is speaking about, because we have two sacraments in, uh, you know, the Anglican Church as well as the Roman Catholic and uh, the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Church. We speak of baptism as being the initial act of grace, the act of grace of God. So you are first um, baptized and that's where you initially receive, as Ray Sutton puts it, the seeds of regeneration. You are given the infused grace of regeneration as Titus 3, 5 um, uh, states. And then that is confirmed when you make, when you make your self-proclamation, the conversion experience, um, of that baptismal grace, you are confirmed. The apostle lay, lays his hands down on you, or the bishop, and he confirms the grace which is given in baptism. So that's the two-part process. So confirmation and baptism is part of the same coin, and that's what's being spoken of here. You are forgiven of your sins in baptism, and this is what Thomas Aquinas is saying. Um, I just want to uh, confirm this with uh, the Cyril of Jerusalem in 8386 and be baptized each one of you in the name of Jesus saving holy baptism suffices for our cleansing of sin and erases the stain of previous falls so it's saying here yeah, that baptism cleanses you from sin and this is 386 AD people this is how early this teaching um, was Cyprian of Carthage uh, AD 258 um, says much uh, much the, the similar thing for this promise. You know, he goes on to, 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 to say the, the same thing. Now, this is quite clearly an early, early Christian teaching. Um, baptism saves. Um, and this is what the early church said about this text. They quoted a part of this text into the Nicene Creed. For the forgiveness of sins. They thought baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. Now I want to go to Acts um, 22. Uh, Acts 22 verses 16. And now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling upon the name of the Lord. Now I've actually had someone, someone say, say that this does not mean that baptism saves but it's referring to calling upon the name of the Lord. Well, 
how do you separate that from baptism? Because before he mentions calling upon the name of the Lord, he says, um, you wash away your sins precisely because you are baptized. So the only reason, um, you know, he's, he's mentioning um, wash away your sins is because he first mentions being baptized. And then he says, calling upon the name of the Lord. You see, you're trying to say, when, when you say that this is not saying that baptism saves, you're trying to say, trying to forget what happened in Acts 2.38, where it says that, it says it point blank, and it says quite clearly that you wash away your sins calling upon the name of the Lord. How does that do away with the fact that baptism is necessary for that initial act of grace? It doesn't. I don't know how you you reading this text, but it says baptism saves. Um, and I've I've got a piece of John John Chrysostom. Um, uh, you know he says, and John Chrysostom dates to four oh seven. I don't want to read this whole piece. Uh, you know, but he he comes more or less to the same thing. Be baptized in his name, but calling on the name of Christ. It shows that he is God, since it's not lawful to call upon any save God. You know, he's trying to defend the deity of Christ here. But um, John Chris Chrysostom clearly agreed agreed with me, um, speaking about that. Now, this is quite a lengthy uh, a lengthy thing that I've got in front of me. Um, but John Chrysostom held to... The, to baptismal regeneration, uh, you know, you can you can read the quotes for yourself. Um, man, this is a long piece. This is a really long piece, but um, this is quite clearly what the text is saying. I, I don't know of any convincing reason to say this is not what 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 is going on here, but this quite clearly links calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which actually would strengthen um, my position. If you want to say that this is referring to calling upon the name of the Lord, you're going to have to give me a reason why you distinguish being baptizing baptism and being and calling upon the name of the Lord. At least scripturally, this is not the way to, to view the text. You have to look at baptism and calling upon the name of the Lord. They both scripturally save um i i'm not sure how you're able to really distinguish between the two i don't know how you know how this argument is supposed to work but let's go on romans 6 verses 1 to 5 now usually i could only mention 3 to 4 but many people accuse uh, those of us who are anglo-catholic they accuse lutherans they accuse um, those who are Cat Roman Catholic and so on, they accuse those of us in those traditions as saying that we taking the verse out of context. But I want to read it, uh, you know, fully in context because I don't believe uh, that this is that this is um, somehow a rejection of scriptural teaching. So Romans um, six verses one to five. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. We who died to sin, how could we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him through baptism to death, that just like Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. Now, it's very interesting that Paul is speaking about people um, who are who are making the allegation or at least saying, well, you know, if, if, if Paul, if what you're saying is true, um, if we are saved by grace and all of this, should we then sin that grace may abound? He says, no. And why not? And then he says, don't you know you've been baptized into Christ? Don't you know you've been baptized into his death? And, um, and this happens through baptism to death. Now, I don't know how much more clearer, clearer this is, but it's saying, Paul is saying the exact reason why you, you shouldn't continue in sin is because of what happened to you in the sacrament of baptism. Now, you know, you can look at the ESV study Bible and a lot of these evangelical interpretations of this. They'll say it refers to the symbol of baptism and stuff. But here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. The passage does not say, does not say, does not say that this is the symbol of baptism. 
It's not saying that, that it's what baptism symbolizes. I, 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 give, I challenge you to go through Romans 6 verses 1 to 5, which you cannot do and s- see it saying this symbolizes baptism. This is not there. If you want to make this case, you're going to have to prove so from the text. The verse doesn't say it symbolizes. You know, baptism symbolizes. It says baptism does this. Baptism does this. For if we become united with him in the likeness of death, we will also be a part of his resurrection. How does this happen to us? How are we united to the likeness of his death? How are we united to the likeness of his resurrection? Wait for it. Paul says it. He says it in three verses 3 and 4. He says, it's because you were baptized. And, you know, if you want to say, well, it's referring to spirit baptism. Where does he say that? And how... Uh, you know, do you do you actually rationalize saying that water baptism and spiritual baptism are completely are two different things? I've just we've just looked at Acts twenty two thirty eight, which says that that you receive in baptism the gift of the Holy Spirit confirmed, like which is later on confirmed in the sacrament of the laying on of hands, chrismation. Acts 2.38 says, The forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit is given and offered in baptism. And that's confirmed by the historic interpretation of the church people. Where do you get this idea that baptism is anything but a saving act of God? You don't. You don't. And uh, in uh, Romans uh, 6 verses 7, let's read that on. Uh, let's go to Romans 6. Verse 7 says that for he that is dead is freed from sin. Notice now what it's saying. Let's go to Romans 6 verses 1. It's speaking about baptism, people. It says that in Romans 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. What is it saying? It's not saying something symbolized, which would actually weaken the apostle's point. He's saying, look, Roman, he's saying, look, guys, something very real happened to you in the act of baptism. You were united to the death and resurrection of Christ. Your old man was crucified with him. And as a result of that, verses six, he says, he that is dead is freed from sin. Literally, you are justified from sin. Baptismal justification. Newsflash. This is just what the text says. I don't, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the text. You, you want to speak about the, 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 the symbolizes the death and resurrection of Christ? First, show me. Show me. It's not there. And there's a reason it wasn't there for the first 16 centuries of the church. It, it's not there. Now, I, I, I just don't know how you are able to, to look at these passages and say, well, you know, um, this is, you know, referring to something other than baptism. Um, well, if, if it's referring to, some, to, to a symbol or something like that, please show me. It, well, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And, you know... Um, And this is where Augustine says, he says, To be baptized into the death of Christ is nothing else but to die to sin, just as he died in the flesh. That objective initial moment that water was applied to you in the name of the triune God is where there was a severance from you and sin. You died to sin. That grace is being conferred to you in baptism. Cyril of Alexandria, AD 444, Christ died to sin once, but in that he lives, he lives to God. We have undergone a death like his and have practically been buried together with him. For in that we carry his mortification about in our bodies, we have have been buried together with him. Notice, so far I can't see anything said by the fathers that say this is a symbol Irenaeus of, of Leons, um, Lyons, but that uh, AD 202, but the, post, but the apostle did know him as one, both who was born and suffered, namely Christ Jesus. He again says in the same epistle, 
Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, that like Christ rose from the dead, we should also walk in the newness of life. So what, what, is, what this verse in Romans is telling us is that quite clearly what, what, becomes, what becomes of us, what happens to us in baptism, our death becomes Christ's death and you know jesus death becomes our death jesus resurrection becomes our resurrection this is applied in baptism paul says it doesn't say anything about a symbol i do not read that what the cross and burial were to christ baptism is to us though not in all respects for christ died and was buried in the flesh whereas we have died and have been buried to sin that's john chrysostom 407 so we are in a supernatural sense this is what happens to us in baptism. This is not a symbol. This happens to us. Severian of Gabala, AD 425, 425. Since we are baptized, we confess that we have died to the world and have been buried to sin and the devil. This is a commentary on this passage, people. Must mean symbol. No, it's not what it says. Tertullian of Carthage seems... Um, not too long, so I'll read it. Ward of such a discipline were not also within its reach, nor could even baptism be properly ordered for the flesh, if by its regeneration a course were not inaugurated, tending to the, re, uh, to the restitution. The, the, the apostle himself suggesting the idea, know you not, that many of us are baptized into Christ Jesus or baptized into his death. We are therefore buried with him by baptism into death, just as Christ was raised up from the dead, even so also should walk in the newness of life, of bestowing even on the unworthy what he has engaged to give, and they turn his liberality into slavery. But if it, but it is of necessity that, grant, that God grants us the symbol of death, you have your norm if passed over into Christ. Notice uh, when Tertullian does speak about symbolism here, he's saying that that thing that happens to you in baptism is visibly seen. This is what he means by symbol. It's not speaking about, you know, this is just symbolizing death. That's all it is. No, what, what Tertullian is actually saying is, no, this is what happens to you. Okay, so let's go on to the Apostolic Constitutions, AD 375. This baptism, therefore, is given into the death of Jesus, and so are owned to the heirs of the kingdom, for since ye have been baptized into the Lord's death. So there we have what the fathers have said about this. I don't know how much more clearer it is, people, um, but this is just what the what the apostles have, have, have said. This is what the apostle says, and this is what the early church says. So um, you don't have anything about this just symbolizes baptism, nothing like that. Baptism is actually something that does something. It is an act of God because it gives something, a saving act which God does. 1 Peter three eighteen to 22. Because Christ also suffered for, son, for sins once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may give you to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which you also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who before were disobedient when God patiently, in the days of Noah, while the ship was being built, in it few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. This points to baptism, which now saves you, not the putting away of the fault of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. Now, no, notice I read through the entire thing. It says that this is a symbol of baptism. You know, this is a the thing which points to baptism or the symbol of baptism. In other words, baptism is pointing back to something else that happens. So what? So all of the things that happened when Noah was going through the waters in the ark. This is how um, the waters saved him. And so it's saying that symbol, that symbol, this is what, this is what is symbolized in baptism. No, notice now it's not saying that baptism is just a symbol. It's saying that which points to, this is the thing that points to baptism, which now saves you, 
not the putting away of the fault of the flesh. What is the fault of the flesh? Well, let's let's see what the the, the, for the father told this meant. Um, one Peter three twenty one. Let just let just get to what they what they say. It's saying baptism is said to be like to be of the like form with the water which Noah uh, was saved because the, uh, the one was a figure of the other. So what it's saying is. Is that this is pointing baptism is um, clearly something which was symbolized by what happened to Noah in the water um, and so it's saying uh, that it the sanctification comes from the answer the ring also is then he won't receive for the first time wherewith after he had been interrogated so that's very high you know High, high English, but, um, you know, because those, these are old pronunciations. But what, what this is saying is, is that, that in Noah's day, baptism was symbolized there. And so this now saves you. Baptism, the actual reality of these things, okay, that was the shadow, the symbol of baptism. And this is a symbol of baptism, which now saves you. Not the putting away of the fault of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this just doesn't make sense if the baptism is just a symbol. Because otherwise, baptism is just a symbol pointing back to another symbol. No, baptism is the reality pointing to something else. It's, a re it's a, the reality of the shadow of what happened to Noah. It, it also points back. If you, if you think back to what happened to the splitting of the sea uh, where Moses and the Israelites went through. So, this squares well with what Hebrews 22 says. Let us draw near with, your th with true heart in assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Our bodies, our hearts was relieved from an evil conscience because of what happened to us in baptism. That's Hebrews 10.22. People, I don't know how much more clearly you, you want it. Something happened to us in baptism. So, we, we continue with Titus, uh, Titus 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Well, what does this mean? Well, the washing of regeneration is speaking of a bathing that comes in a, in a, in a bath of baptismal font, the laver. The labor of, 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 of baptism. Let me, let me just get this. Um, this Titus uh, 3 verses 5. Titus 3, 5. Let me read what Ambrose of Milan says in AD 397. Who is the one who is born of the Spirit and is made Spirit? It is the one who is renewed in the Spirit of his mind. It is the one who is regenerated by water and the Holy Spirit. We receive the hope of eternal life through the laver of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, the Apostle Peter says, You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For who is he that is baptized with the Holy Spirit, but he that is born again through water and the Holy Spirit? Therefore the Lord said of the Holy Spirit, Therefore I say unto you, Except a man be born again by water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And therefore he had declared that we are born of him into the kingdom by being born again by water and the Spirit. This is what um, uh, Ambrose is saying of this. He's saying that this is, this is not to be separated. Being born of water and the Spirit happens in baptism and is later confirmed obviously by chrismation. It's not separating spirit and water baptism. And I'll get to that later when I make some, co make some comments with some other passages. For if anyone should ask of me whether we have been saved by baptism, I shall not be able to deny it. Since the apostle says he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But if he should... Um, ask whether by the same washing he has already in every way immediately saved us, I shall answer it is not so, because the same uh, apostle also says, for we are also saved by hope. 
For this reason, charity, which we which had regard more for the common good than for its own, it is said, not to seek the things that are its own. Hence, charity is practiced now in the good works of love, by which it reaches us to give us aid in whatever it, uh, direction it can. And this is its breath. It bears adversity with long-suffering, and perseveres in what it holds as true. And this is its length. It does all this in order to attain to eternal life, which is promised to it on high. And this is hype. The charity indeed is hidden in the place where we are found, and so to speak, rooted in depth. Hence we do not search into the reasons for God's will, by whose grace we are saved. This has come not by works of justice, which we have done, but according to his mercy. For, he, for of his own will he has begotten us um, by the word of truth, and this of his will is hidden. Um, and so, you know, he goes on to reason, Augustine, if the forgiveness of sins were not to be had in the church, then there would be no hope of future life and eternal liberation. We thank God who gave us his church such a gift. Here you are. You are going to come to the holy font. You will be washed in saving baptism. You will be renewed in the bath of rebirth. You will be without any sin at all until you come up from that bath. All things were plaguing you in the past will be blotted out. It is true we have not risen yet, yet as Christ has, but we have said to have we are said to have risen with him on account of the hope which we have in him. So again he says, according to the mercy he saved us by the by the washing of regeneration. Evidently we what we obtain in the washing of regeneration is not the salvation itself, but the hope of it. And yet, because of this hope is certain, we are said to be saved, as if salvation were already bestowed. Now, what what Augustine is basically saying here is he's saying that there's initial side of salvation and a future salvation. Okay, he's saying that we're not all saved in the same way and in the same sense in baptism and later on. He's saying that there, we need perseverance because we can we can lose the grace that is given to us in baptism. But he's saying the the initial grace of baptism is happens. In, in, in the baptismal font. Notice he says the saving baptism. Baptism is that initial point where God saves us. But it needs to be endured through faith and charity and love. Um, no, faith, hope and love. Charity and love is the same thing. Um, and um, Augustine goes on to say this because we need to persevere in this faith. And so he's speaking about baptism saving us. Um, it saves us in three sense. By the faith which is given to us in baptism, by uh, the hope which looks to future salvation, and also uh, the, the, the um, you know, so it's faith, hope, and love. So we are saved in faith, hope, and love, past, present, and future, you know, in, 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 in baptism, because baptism also assures us of something to ha later happen, um, which, is, which, which is later on, because uh, baptism's grace is confirmed in confirmation and later on in life. Because we, we then do partake of the Eucharist and daily prayer and confession, which uh, saves us continually. So baptism is that initial act of justification. So there's a lot that I can say, but I but I think I should just read this uh, from John Chrysostom, 407 AD. There came out from his side water and blood. Beloved, do not pass this mystery by without a thought, for I have still another mystical explanation to give. I said that there was a symbol of baptism and the mysteries in the blood and water. It is from these that the church is sprung, through the bath of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, through baptism and the mysteries. But the symbols of baptism and the mysteries water and blood come from the side of Christ. It is from his side, therefore, that Christ formed this church, just as he formed Christ from the side of Adam. Strange, isn't it, how we were drowned in wickedness that we would not be purified? We needed a new birth, for this is implied by regeneration. For as with a house in a ruinous state, no one places props under it, um, nor makes addition to the old buildings, but pulls it to its foundation and rebuilds it anew. So in our case, Christ has not repaired us, but made us anew. Yet Italian is saying these physical um, things that can be seen, which is what is meant by symbols, um, through baptism, and he alludes to other sacraments as, as well. You see, this this goes to the to the issue of you know the of what a sacrament is. The sacrament is a physical thing, like a physical thing that can be seen, and so the water. 
um, when, when it is applied. Christ is giving something through it or by it. And so uh, Tertullian is saying that um, through these means, um, these things are effected. And so we are given these graces through the mysteries. Baptism is a mystery. And it is saying that it is from his side, therefore, that Christ formed his church. Notice now what he's saying about the water and the blood, because this is why um, we have the Eucharist and baptism. And this is how baptism saves us, because it becomes um, it becomes sacramental water when the word of God is pronounced upon um, upon water and also the Holy Eucharist. And this is how it's able to save us, because that water is united. Christ's presence, his blood is conferred in those things in a mysterious way. And that's what John Chrysostom is saying. And so he's saying that this is how it happens. And yeah, there's much which could be said. Um, you know, this is, this is just historic interpretation. Titus uh, 3 verses 5 is telling us uh, that, uh, that we are being saved by the Holy Spirit through the elements of water, through the symbol of baptism. Baptism is, is, is the instrument. And so God, through the means of baptism, through the sign of baptism, is saving us. This is just historic Christian orthodoxy. Now I'm going to read uh, two other passages, and then I'm going to try to answer the question of water and spirit baptism. But 1 Corinthians 6:11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy in, in, in the Spirit of God. So it's saying that we were washed and we were sanctified and we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of God. Now this is a very interesting passage because it seems to be saying exactly that. It's saying that we were saved in the waters of baptism. It, it's not saying anything. Other than that, now I want to I want to read what Peter Lightheart says about this issue because Peter Lightheart was the first one that really drew my attention to this. Um, and so uh, Peter Lightheart says, Paul makes a direct connection between baptism and justification, having reminded the Corinthians that he had that they had been the kind of people who did not inherit the kingdom. He goes on to remind them that they are no longer such people. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Is Paul taking a, talking about water baptism when he refers to washing or to some spiritual and invisible washing? I believe the former. The phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, echoes the baptismal formula of Matthew 28 and Acts. And the reference to the Spirit also links with the baptismal passages in Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, to 12 to 13. The whole passage is in fact embedded in the baptismal formula. You are washed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note too, Paul marks the shift from what the, what the Corinthians were to what they are, to the reference to baptism. They have become different folk by being baptized. What though is the relationship between being between baptism and sanctification and justification. The connection here is not absolutely clear, but I suggest the sanctification and justification are two implications of the event of baptism. The pagan Corinthians have been washed, sanctified, justified by their baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus and concomitant and the concomitant action of the Spirit. It's very important to notice what, what Peter is saying here, Peter Lighthard, um, because just to reiterate what he's saying, he's saying that when you're looking at 1 Corinthians 6 to 11, it's very curious that Paul is saying you have been washed. But then he links sanctification and justification to that act. He lumps it together and then he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only, if, if, if you, there's only, the only other like passages that we can speak of when we are looking at this is Matthew 28, 19, you know, the baptismal formula and Acts where it speaks about washing away your sins in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2, uh, 38 says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that by the Holy Spirit, you were washed in the waters of baptism. This is very simple. Um, again, he's alluding to baptism as a statement of what has happened to them. He's making identity statements in 
um, in, in any statements about baptism. Because in baptism, the Bible says we are united to the forgiveness of sins. We are united to the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. These graces are given to us in the sacrament of holy baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, as I've said before, um, Acts 2, 38, uh, you know, and 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Titus 3, 5, they all speak of, of baptism, the water of baptism, and they link the Holy Spirit to that. Nowhere am I able to find here that there's this dislodging of spirit and water. There just isn't. And you know, Jimmy Dunn tries to make this point, but he doesn't do it successfully. And you know, N.T. Wright responds to this kind of stuff. And he says, "When, when the New Testament Christian thought of baptism, he only had one thing in mind. They are reminded of the fact when they were plunged into water in the name of Jesus. Um, this is the only thing that it can be. No, notice what Ephesians 4 verse 4 to 6 says. They, they say there is one body and one spirit. Just as you are called in one hope of calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. It's one baptism people. The one baptism which is by the spirit is the exact baptism which takes place in water. If it's not so, please give me a reason why. And there was something that I read from a, from a Lutheran scholar that I really th thought put this into perspective. So I just want to get this on the screen here. Um, and I, I thought this was a really nice way of speaking about it. But he says, first we have to deal with this term water baptism. To talk about water baptism is akin to talk about food eating. There is no baptism without water, as the Greek baptizo, from which we get our word baptism, means to apply water, either by immersing, dipping, pouring, or sprinkling. Certainly we hear about these things, just as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that that the one to come after him would baptize him with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Understanding our language works, though, we know that when one applies a word like baptism to something which is not water, one understands from context that the, sp that the speaker is using analogy. Um, continuing with our food-eating parallel, one might say after reading an interesting book, I devoured every word. One would not mean that he engaged in any actual type of eating. Rather, he's saying that the book was interesting and he read it in with enthusiasm. So there we must in agree with Paul that there is only one baptism and one can dispense with the rather annoying and theologically loaded term water baptism. I mean, he's got a point there. Um, what he's saying here is... Baptism is naturally thought of as being plunged into water. That's what it means to get wet. Um, and this, this getting wet is something that takes place by the Holy Spirit. is made clear by Ephesians 4 verse 4 to 6, where, um, again, the Spirit and water baptism is part and parcel of the same thing. It's not two different things. Um, the Spirit is the one who carries out the act of baptism. God does this. It is a work of God. And this is... Just very, very clear from what the Bible says. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are many other things that can be said about this. But the fact of the matter is, it's a very new teaching to say that baptism is anything other than water baptism. Water baptism is an act of God through the church. Um, just as God is the one who is giving us the sacrament of bread and wine, which is the body and body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, so God is giving us the waters of baptism. God is the one through the church doing those acts. And I can't think of this as being anything other than biblical orthodoxy. Um, these verses do not say that this is just a symbol. And if they do use a symbol, they don't mean anything than what is meant here. I mean, like in First Peter three twenty one, it's not saying this; it, it's just a symbol. It's saying that um, that Noah's ark and the flood symbolized and pointed to something greater, and baptism is the actual thing that happens. 
I just want to read one more passage. It's in Colossians 2, verses 12. Just get that. Um, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you were risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who had raised him from the dead. So again, there you have it. Baptism is linked to, um, to the resurrection. And in, in verse 11 it says, let's read verses 11 and 12. In whom also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of the sins, by the flesh of the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, um, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now, you can just read again. There are two things being me mentioned. Death to the body of sin. Death to sin. And then in verses 12, being risen. And baptism is the culmination of those two things. I don't, I don't know how much more clear it can be. Um, and, you know, some people, they, they ask, well, what about people who die outside of the faith, who die outside of baptism? Well, the church has historically uh, taught that God has other ways of making, up, making it up to you. That is, if you really believe... Um, uh, the church has spoken of baptism of desire. They have spoken of, you know, the baptism of martyrs, where people who are not given the not given baptism are saved through other means. And so, when we say baptism saves, we're saying it is necessary for salvation. We're saying it is normatively necessary for salvation. We're saying that God has other ways of making it up to you, but in a normal case. The way to get saved is through baptism. And we're not saying that faith is irrelevant here. We're saying faith is indeed relevant. Um, we're just saying that baptism is clearly uh, necessary for one's initiation into the church and the spiritual life of the church. And so, yeah, I, that, that, that's all from me. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And yeah. Uh, o Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fullest all things, treasury of good gifts and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every stain, O Gracious One. This was the host, Eucharistic and Hipster Talk, with the Reverend Deacon Maverick Victor Whitlow from, from Cape Town, South Africa. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes. Uh, I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, cool.